You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, Bills Mafia? Welcome into another episode of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Syracuse.com and NewYorkUpstate.com. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino, and we are in the thick of things in our big giant Bills offseason mailbag. We reached out to you guys on Twitter, asked you for your questions, and you delivered. And next up is a fun one. It comes from uh, Cajun Bills backer at GoBuffalo, G-E-A-U-X, Buffalo. Great follow on Twitter, uh, very active, engaging fan. Um, he asks, outside of Allen, which starter on offense and defense would hurt the most if they went down for a significant amount of time in 2020? Uh, let's start on the defensive side of the ball, Ryan. And who did you pick as the potential biggest loss? Yeah, I think it's Trey White. I, I think there's a few options there. But at the end of the day, Trey White, uh, has been a number one cornerback for the Bills since he joined this team in, in the 2017 draft. Uh, I think that Brendan Bean and Sean McDermott both know how important having a number one cornerback is to the success of this defense. You saw back even in Carolina when they had Josh Norman in that first run around or that first go around where he was an all pro and how he made that, you know, help that defense go and play at a high level and you know, they fell off a little bit after he left for that that first season when he was in Washington. Um, and when they came to Buffalo, Trey White, since that first day, has, has played as number one cornerback, all pro this past season. Uh, they, they obviously have some depth at the position, three guys that competing for that number two spot that, if healthy, I think you would feel pretty good about in that in that number two role. But how many of them would you feel comfortable with as your number one cornerback? In my opinion, it would be none compared to a Trey White. You're not going to get that level of play. I just think that that drop-off is so significant that Trey White would be the biggest blow to the defense if he were to go down with a significant injury. I think, before I give mine, I think that the two guys that have really been mentioned the most uh, in response to this question, and I think really the only two, um, I think you can make an argument for a few more, but the reason why I'm going to go with Tremaine Edmonds Uh, middle linebacker is because you mentioned fall off and 
right now, the drop off from Tremaine Edmonds to whoever would be that in that backup role at middle linebacker, even if Julian Stanford is, is somehow brought back in the mix, who's been in the system for two years, AJ Klein's played a lot of middle linebacker. They really like Tyrell Dotson, who has a lot of position flexibility. I just trust that Sean McDermott, if Tredavious White were to go down, as big of a blow as that would be, I trust him as someone whose speciality is dealing in the defensive backfield to come up with a, a plan, to come up with a way to uh, maybe a stopgap in terms of how long it takes to get him back and healthy to kind of just keep things at a status quo. If you're losing Tremaine Edmonds, you got to think about everything that you're losing, the athleticism, the reaction, the quickness, the, the, the absolute, when he's on, when he's been on in his first two years, we've seen the high level of um, execution and just overall dependability that he brings to the defense when he's on, obviously he was 21 years old last year. He went to the Pro Bowl. He's still learning. There's still moments and games where he's had moments he wants back, uh, as Sean McDermott always says. But I think that the drop-off there and what he's asked to do as not only the leader of that defense, but the quarterback of that defense, a guy that's always asked to be communicating with all three levels of the defense, getting people in the right spot, I think that you lose too much if, if Tremaine Edmonds is out of the mix. And I think that also, I'm expecting such a big jump in production from year two to year three in Tremaine Edmonds. I think that he's one of the keys to taking this defense to the next level. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely fair. You know, you, you did mention A.J. Klein. I think that they would probably slide him inside if something did happen to Edmonds. But th there is no comparison between the two in terms of the athleticism, in terms of uh, what Edmonds can do. And he's just scratching the surface. So th there's absolutely a valid case there. Uh, going back to, to my answer with White, you know, you're right. There's a lot of versatility there. There's some options there. You do have a, a tremendous safety duo that can help with that cornerback play. But I just – you still have those question marks about those other cornerbacks. Are you getting the Josh Norman of uh, 2015? No, but can you get the one that was from 2016 to 2018 with Washington where he graded out pretty well, played pretty well? Uh, I think you can, but I would prefer that as the number two role. Can you get EJ Gaines healthy? I don't know the last time that there's been an, an entire season where EJ uh, e. Gaines has been healthy. Maybe it was his rookie year. I'd have to go back and see if he was even healthy all 16 games as a rookie. He, he's just had some bad luck with injuries. And, and then you have a guy like Levi Wallace who, you know, to his credit, has a lot of experience under his belt as a former undrafted free agent. Uh, had some moments last year, I thought, at the end of the season where he rebounded in his play. Uh, after, I, I don't want to say a rough start to the season, but he was definitely picked on more last year. And it took him a little time, I think, to uh, get back, I, I don't know, get some of that positive traction back, which we saw at the end of the year in that Pittsburgh game and, and early in that Jets game before he went down with an injury. Um, but none of those guys scream number one cornerback at this point in the game. And to have a guy like White who can take away an entire portion of the field which he's done before, is so big for a defense that I definitely think that both of our answers are the, are the, the I don't want to say the best answers, but I think those are the two most popular choices, as you mentioned, in terms of who would be the biggest losses because of either what they bring athletically or what we've already seen from them in terms of locking down an entire portion of the field.
Yeah, I think that it's safe to say that they're 1A and 1B, whichever way you want to look at it. Because, you know, I think that there would be a greater drop-off from Tremaine Edmonds to whoever comes in just because of, you know, it's just not a very deep position right now because there's so much unknowns with Corey Thompson, who's been good at times, but I'm not sure where he kind of um, projects as an interior player. Tyrell Dotson is probably that next guy after AJ, AJ Klein, and they love him. And, they, and he was kept around for a reason last year, but it's just really hard to project if he can bring anything, any semblance of what Tremaine Edmonds brings. But I will say this for Tredavious White. It's such an unbelievable luxury to have a shutdown corner in this specific scheme because it takes so much pressure off the defensive line. And what I like about what the Bills have done defensively, you know, through free agency and in the draft getting A.J. Epinesa, They've ramped up their pass rush, bringing in Mario Addison, and I, I, I will add A.J. Epinesa to that, to that list. I think his, his ability to power rush at, at, at multiple slots I think gives Eric Washington and Sean McDermott a fun option there. And I think that that takes pressure off of the secondary, and I think that allows the secondary to kind of do more things. And so if, if you have those two units you know, fully stocked, you know what I mean? No injuries. I think that there's a chance for this defense to be really good. Another reason why I go Edmonds instead of White is because I watched Saran Neal last year come in and play some outside corner, and I was shocked by it because I was like, man, this is, this is a guy that came in the NFL as a safety. He then got moved to uh, more of a you know, uh, slot corner role. And then you know when Levi Wallace and Kevin Johnson were hurt, uh, or Levi Wallace was held out. I can't remember what the circumstance was, but he went, he got sent out and played outside corner and he, he looked pretty good doing it. And I think that this is a guy that's comfortable now going into his, his third year. He's a little bit bigger. He's not as fast, but I think that they have options that they like. I, I thought that the lack of depth at cornerback last year was puzzling, but Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean throughout the season were steadfast in their confidence in Taron Johnson and Saran Neal. So uh, I just think that, um, for me, it's Edmonds, but I think you can't go wrong with uh, Tredavis White either. No, and there's definitely some valid points there in terms of the defensive line because we've seen other teams have success bringing pressure to kind of, I don't want to say mask their cornerback play, but to, to ease uh, that role in terms of if you don't have a lockdown guy, if we can get to the quarterback, we can pressure him, get the ball out faster. You don't have to necessarily be on your guy for four or five seconds locking him down, whatever the case may be. So you're right, with, with the guys like Mario Addison, AJ Epineza, Quentin Jefferson, the list goes on and on. Uh, they, they could maybe even help within that back end in terms of if something did happen with White. We're going to move to the offensive side of the ball, and obviously the question uh, was very specific about uh, excluding Josh Allen from this one because I think both of us would probably go in that direction if he was included because I think a lot of what the Bills want to do this year is predicated on not only Josh Allen's development, but finally – Josh Allen's um, production and, jo the, and Josh Allen adding more than he's um, kind of detracting uh, from this offense, but he's not in the conversation. So we had to both pick um, a player that, I, that we believe is a guy that the bills can't afford to lose for a long stretch. I'll go first on this one. And it was between two players for me. Um, I think the offensive line has a chance to make a significant jump from last season to this season, even though the only real notable addition uh, has been Daryl Williams, former All-Pro, who struggled the last couple of years from Carolina. But I think the continuity that was built last year and the 
stability of that offensive line now, I think that there's a, a possibility for them to be even better next year. So it was between Mitch Morris at center and Deion Dawkins at left tackle. And the reason why I'm picking Mitch Morris is very simple. I have a, a ton of belief, as long as he can stay healthy, in Ty and Seki to move into that role at left tackle, which I think he's better at than even how he played last season at right tackle. And, and I think that there's some people, you know, conversations I've had from people that have talked to people in the or, inside the organization and outside the organization that felt like at times Ty and Seki was the best Bills offensive lineman on the field last year in his limited reps. So I think that that's why I, I, I'm, I've kind of shifted it more towards Mitch Morris because I think that if he were to go out, it, it just changes the dynamic of the offensive line. And I think that Mitch Morris last year, he needed to get comfortable a little bit. He needed to build that rapport with Josh Allen. You know, I remember going back to before last season started and reading some of the stuff that Patrick Mahomes said about Mitch Morris and how important he was to his development in Kansas city. And, um, and I think that Mitch Morris has a chance to be that rock and that that stabilizing force for Josh Allen in front of him. And I think he, he has a chance knowing the system better a year into it being better in terms of his productivity as a pass blocker, which is where he really excels. And even in the run game that I think that Mitch Morse kind of keys this offensive line this year, where I think that, you know, with Ty Inseki, if you were to plug him in at left tackle, I think that the bills would be okay. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I headed down to Morse Dawkins and then my choice, Stefan Diggs. There's a lot of hype around the Bills offense this year that they're going to take the next step, that they're going to make that movement. And that's all pretty much based on the addition of Stefan Diggs. No disrespect to the three rookies that were added in terms of the two at the wide receiver position, one at running back. But the reason that this team is getting talked about as a potential, you know, most improved offensive unit is because Stefan Diggs having that number one wide receiver. And if something happened to Diggs and he went down for an extended period of time, you're pretty much right back to where you started last year. And don't get me wrong, John Brown was a very good wide receiver. Cole Beasley was a very good wide receiver. But then you're looking at who's going to be wide receiver number three. Is it going to be Isaiah McKenzie? Is it going to be one of the rookies that they brought in, uh, Gabe Davis? Um, maybe it's going to be a Robert Foster who reemerges. Who knows? But I just feel like you're back to square one if anything were to happen to uh, digs. Now, going to your point, I agree about that in Seki. Uh, I, I will say that there's something about that leadership perspective with Dawkins. If he were to go out, um, players and uh, coaches, coordinators have really been raving about him. I listened to Brian Dable on One Bills Live this week, and he talked about, he said he didn't want to talk, say that, that Dawkins has grown up, but that's ended up, that ended up being the terminology he used, that he's grown up so much since he's come to Buffalo and since he's been here. He's taken on a real leadership role, and, it, and it's kind of funny. You go back and look at those pictures of the team workouts in, in Florida, and it was pretty much all skill players except for Deion Dawkins, who was there with the guys building that rapport. So if you're factoring everything in, there is definitely a case to be made for Dawkins, the leadership. He would still be in the locker room. He would still be able to communicate with the guys, but you'd lose something on the field as well. But I agree with you that Morris is kind of, uh, you know, the 1A, 1B again going to be, to our defensive talk because – of what he brings from the blocking standpoint, but also the communication standpoint for Josh Allen, getting up to the line and pointing out what he sees this was so big for Josh Allen last year. I think it was kind of a combination between Morris and Feliciano 
both yelling out what they saw and helping Josh Allen with his uh, play calls and things of that nature. So that's huge for Josh Allen as well. So both answers, I think, uh, make a lot of sense, or all three of those options, actually. What I really like about Stefan Diggs being the answer here is that while the Bills, I think, would be okay as an offense because – they're really returning. If Stefan Diggs isn't part of the picture, they're returning the same offense that they had last year. And, you know, they, they came up short in the playoffs, but they still won 10 games. They made some improvements. Josh Allen had 29 total touchdowns. Um, John Brown put up the 14th best season in Bills franchise history uh, with a, going over 1,000 yards. So I think that they would be okay, but I think that what they want to be is a better offense, right? And they want to be a top 15 offense at the at baseline. And I think you take Stefan Diggs out of that equation and he immediate, then you talk about this offense and it immediately takes a jump back to what they were last year. And not only that, if you lose Stefan Diggs for a period of time, you're losing however many weeks he will be out that ability to, to build chemistry and, and, and that rapport with Josh Allen. And that's, what's going to be so key because I, I keep going back to this and I've said it multiple times in this podcast, but there you go back to that Houston game and John Brown was on the field and Cole Beasley was on the field and they threw the ball 10 times to Duke Williams. They were looking as an offense, Josh Allen as a quarterback for an answer. And that's why Brandon Bean went out and traded a first round pick, a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick, and a fourth round pick next year to get Stefan Diggs. He is that answer. So if he's out for an extended period of time, you're, you're, absolutely correct this offense takes a big hit and I think that it it really impacts their long-term viability as an AFC contender if Stefan Diggs is not in the lineup yeah absolutely Diggs in the lineup creates a lot of mismatches whether it's for Diggs himself whether it's for Brown or Beasley or even if it's for a guy like Dawson Knox entering year two Having that full arsenal of weapons is important, but there's no piece bigger than Diggs, who is supposed to be that number one, who's supposed to get the attention of those opposing number one cornerbacks, which in in effect will then make life easier for those other wide receivers, tight ends, and even the backs uh, in terms of what they can do in the passing game too. So absolutely Diggs would be losing him for any period of time would be a severe blow for this offense and their expectations. Let's talk about this a bit. I think it's an interesting um, conversation. What if Mitch, if Mitch Morse were to go down and, you know, you figure John Feliciano probably slides into that center role. He did a really good job of that last year. And then you have some options. What do you think happens? Would it be that, you know, Daryl Williams, maybe who maybe doesn't crack the starting lineup to start the season. He gets put in at that right guard spot because Daryl Williams can play pretty much any position on the left or right side. Um, he, his all pro season was at right tackle. He's played a lot of right guard. And I think that that's where maybe Brandon Bean sees him competing for a job, maybe pushing Feliciano at that right guard spot. But what happens? Is it you put in a guy off the bench, like a Spencer Long or a Daryl Williams, or do you have Ty and Seki on your bench and you move him to right tackle and move Cody Ford inside the right guard? You know, that's the one piece of the puzzle that I still can't figure out because there's other guys. There's Evan Bame, who I've overlooked. And mm -hmm. listening again to uh, Brian Dable on One Bills Live, he mentioned him by name early on, like right after mentioning Dar the addition of Daryl Williams. 
Bame can play center. He can play guard. He is that. And we did uh, this last year. And we did yeah. this last year with John Feliciano. I yep. was a big clout hopper. I, I didn't really even pay attention to him until almost minicamp. So either of those guys could, you know, play center. And if you're, if you're really happy with Feliciano's play, maybe that is your move. You put Bame in at center first and see how he does. Um, but I, I, I'm hesitant on them moving forward over until the end of the 2020 season. I think that they are committed to giving him a full second season at right tackle and, and then evaluating at the end of the year, what do we have here? Is he a tackle or is he a guard going forward? Because I always go back to it. He didn't have much of an off season last year. He played in the college playoffs. Then all, then you're, you're doing these interviews with teams. You're doing private workouts. You're, you're going to, uh, top 30 visits, you're going to the draft, and, and then you have the, the entire, you know, OTAs and all of that. There was no downtime for him. There was no time for him to work on his game, so to speak, where, you know, obviously he had surgery at the end of the season, uh, so he didn't get on the ground running, so to speak, but he's had more time to work on his game, to, to train with other NFL guys, and to, to even work on adding weight and adding to his frame. So, I think they're committed to seeing him at right tackle for a full season. I think that Ty and Secchi at this point in his career with his age is best suited as depth because when he is on the field, you're right. He might be their best lineman, but putting him out there for every snap of every game, I think you're going to lose him sooner rather than later because, uh, and maybe not even the injury, just the, the little the getting banged up a little bit here and there can have a toll on, a, on an offensive lineman that's in your, mid thirties at this point in the game. So it didn't, it doesn't have to be something severe. I just think the little bumps and bruises could take their toll on his effectiveness where you bring him in for a quarter of the snaps per game to spell those guys. I think that he can be very valuable. So Ford is such a tough guy to, to peg in terms of what they want to do, but I really think they're committed to giving him one more year at right tackle before they make any decision about where he's going to be in 2021 and beyond. I think what you said about Ty is so, important because it's why I struggle to really not hand the right guard job to John Feliciano because for, for multiple reasons, you know, I think that John Feliciano's biggest competition is Cody Ford would be Cody Ford in a scenario where you enter camp and they're like Daryl Williams could win the job. And maybe I'll be wrong in that, in that scenario. But what all I hear from every level at that organization about Feliciano is, is how much they revere him as a leader in the room. That goes, that starts with Bobby Johnson comes from Dable. It's come from McDermott. I think McDermott said multiple times on his press conferences now about Feliciano's leadership. So I think that maybe if you really like Daryl Williams and I know Bill's fans probably don't want to hear this. I can almost see a platoon at right tackle again and a platoon at right guard if you want to get Daryl Williams some snaps as well, which, you know, I'm no expert, and I'd love to talk in depth about this with Bobby Johnson and, and some of the guys in the line. I don't know how that works, but from my conversations with John in the locker room last year, it seems like for certain players, it's no issue to play right guard one play and center another play. Like, he, he said he likes that. He likes it keeps him on his toes. And so I think – you know, it, it's hard to really, as a spectator and as somebody who covers the team and never really played the game at a high level, to sit here and, and try to um, talk about what these guys actually feel going out there and playing the, 
the roles that they're given. Um, but from my perspective, just watching, you know, team sports, you would think that it would be more effective of a plan to get, to find your five best players, get them slotted in and have them build that continuity. Yeah, you would think so. It's not like the defensive line where, and I'm not trying to downplay the defensive line, but you know, they like to rotate the players in the defensive line a lot. And I think that has to do basically keeping them fresh throughout the game because you're going after the quarterback you're trying to stop the running backs. Where offensive line, I think there's something about continuity and having that confidence in the person next to you. And I'm not saying you want to have confidence in a Daryl Williams or uh, a Cody Ford or what, you know, whatever it would be at guard or the rotation of the, plato- uh, the platoon. But it, it's difficult to have one guy next to you one play and then someone the next because you might know exactly what your responsibility is one play, but then you might not – the person next to you might not be as confident on a play-by-play basis. Uh, and, you know, Williams, like you said, could end up winning this job. He was an all-pro at one point in his career. Last year, Carolina moved him around too much. They had him on, at left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle. Keep him on the right side. I don't care if it's at right guard and right tackle as, as a platoon, uh, platoon or, or as spelling the guys there. Um, but don't put him over on the left-hand side unless injuries cause you to do that. Keep him over where he's, not, he's best suited to play and create that competition create that additional depth and talent. Uh, but you're right. You would think offensive line would be more of a scenario where keep your best five guys out there for the majority of the game, where you're not necessarily saying, okay, you're only going to play 40, 55% of the snaps this game, like you do on some games on the defensive line, because you're rotating guys in and out so much. So I think it's a little bit different on the offensive line, but if you have that depth, if you have those guys that can come in for a series and then you can go back to your starters. That could obviously keep their legs fresh and, and help the offense long-term as well. But, yeah, that is definitely an interesting discussion. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. If you have a question that you go on Twitter, find the, uh, the thread that I have pinned to the top of my profile, and you don't see a question that you want answered, asked, ask it. You can DM me, uh, tweet to that um, specific thread, and we will try to get to it before – the 2020 season training camp kicks off. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for listening. Um, please subscribe so you get every episode every time uh, we release one. Uh, leave us a rating and a review. It always helps. And again, Ryan Talbot, Matt Perino, Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. This has been Shout and We're Out. My wife hates that ending. I could see it on her face. I'm going to keep doing it just to see if I can maybe flow into something else eventually. Uh, But if you really hate it, tweet at me and maybe we'll stop doing it. Have a great day. (laughs) I don't hate it. Oh, okay.